This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, the Sasquatch of the Capitol Press Corps, and I've been chronicling the nonsense here in Tallahassee for more than 40 years. Today on Sunrise, members of the Florida Senate talk about gun violence in the aftermath of mass shootings in Texas and Ohio. Republicans in the Florida House gathered today to crown Chris Sprawls of Palm Harbor as their leader beginning next year after the elections. He'll become Speaker of the House if Republicans keep their majority, which is basically a sure bet in the House. Florida's Constitution Revision Commission faces an existential threat in the legislature. Lawmakers want the public to vote on a plan to abolish the panel outright. The GOP leader in the Florida Senate says there's a lot of crap at his chicken farm in central Florida, but that's nothing compared to what comes out of the state capitol. We'll also have your daily calendar and our continuing coverage of Florida Man and his Florida Woman. It's a story about sex in the back of a patrol car. And now, the top stories. Concentrate on the shooter, not the weapon. That's one of the recommendations from law enforcement in the aftermath of mass shootings in Texas and Ohio as they testified before the Committee on Infrastructure and Security in the state Senate. Now, some lawmakers would like to ban military-style assault rifles like the AR-15 and the AK-47, but Florida Department of Law Enforcement Commissioner Rick Swearingen told the committee it's not the primary culprit in mass shootings. When these attacks are reported, attention seems to focus on the weapon type. From a trend perspective, in targeted mass violence, the attacker's primary weapon is typically a handgun. 60% of the time it's handguns, about 25% it's rifles, 10% shotguns, and it goes down from there which means we can't focus prevention efforts on a type of weapon. Professor Jillian Taranovic works with the Crime Victims Research and Policy Institute at Florida State University, and she's been crunching the numbers on mass shootings nationwide. The slight uptick in public mass shootings in recent years seem to be accompanied by two new patterns that are new and not seen in mass shootings in years past. In more recent public mass shootings, we see that shooters are increasingly voicing their threats ahead of time and seeking validation for their motives from others, particularly online. And we also see an increase in mass shooters who have been radicalized in online hate groups prior to carrying out mass shootings. FSU professor Brandon Lay says there's another trend at work here because the lone gunman is no longer alone, and it's all thanks to the Internet. Key features of the Internet that we value as a society increase destructive behavior. For one, people feel more anonymous on the Internet. When people feel more anonymous, they feel less inhibited and are more likely to engage in extreme behavior. And more importantly, the Internet facilitates the mobilization of groups. What I mean by that is people from different geographies and different time zones can more easily interact. And the Internet removes social and normative barriers that otherwise prevent antisocial groups from forming. So how do you deal with these people before they open fire? Commissioner Swearingen says profiles do not work. We have identified some trims regarding the uh, Florida incidents, which are pretty consistent nationwide. One of the most consistent findings is that there is no single demographic or psychosocial profile of the perpetrators. Profiling of people based on their characteristics always risks over-identifying a large number of people who do not pose a threat and will never engage in an attack. More importantly, profiling of people based on characteristics means we would miss some of those people that are planning and preparing for an attack but who do not have the characteristics that we are looking for. Swearingen says the state is trying to deal with mass shooting proactively by adopting a process called BTAM, Behavioral Threat Assessment Management. It was pioneered by the U.S. Secret Service back in the 90s, and Swearingen is working to set up a BTAM process in the Sunshine State. Florida is once again a national leader, and we will be the first state to have a comprehensive statewide BTAM strategy. We will also be the first state to have a comprehensive law enforcement BTAM training for our officers. 
It will take resources, not just from the state, but also from local governments, because it re requires significant coordination, especially, especially across disciplines, meaning not every city or county will have the resources to do this on their own. Collectively, we can get this done. Teams will need to be set up in every region throughout the state. Now, this was just a workshop, so there were no actual votes by the Senate committee, but the issue of mass shootings is not going away. Republicans in the Florida House of Representatives gathered today in the chamber to formally designate Chris Bowles of Palm Harbor as the next Speaker of the House. Now, if you check out his Twitter biography, it's a nice and short to the point. It says, husband to Shannon, dad to Prescott and Conrad, lawyer, lover of free markets and innovation. Representative, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Now, you are about to become the Speaker-designate of the Florida House of Representatives. Tell me what that means exactly. Well, it's a it's an opportunity this week for the Republican caucus to to designate somebody as as their leader, which which would mean you know after the next election, you know the person who would become you know the the Speaker of the Florida House, and that will happen uh, tomorrow. I got you, and that's pretty much a sure deal. I mean, it pretty much take a nuclear disaster for Republicans to lose control of the House at this point. Have you have you started working on your agenda, or what are going to be your priorities once you become the Speaker? Well, of course, we we take nothing for granted, and you know we found over the course of time that that great policy uh, becomes great politics, and that's been the kind of the focal point of the House of House Majority. You know, we've done a great job over the last you know 20 years, but particularly in the last you know half dozen or so years of making sure that we have strong economic policies that that value the the state budget, that save money, that invest in important things like the opportunities for people to get a, a world class education, regardless of what neighborhood that they live in, to be to make sure that we open up the marketplace and innovations like we did last year by removing health care barriers that once seemed insurmountable. So I think those are the kinds of big, big ticket items you can see that will, will continue to be the focal point of the Republican House majority. All right. Now, looking back over the years you've spent in the House, what would you say you've been proudest of that you've accomplished there? You know, it'd really be tough to pick pick any one thing. I mean, I think that the thing probably that, you know, one of the things that you focus on the most is the opportunity to give, you know, children a world-class education. Over the last several years that I've been here, you know, I filed bills as a freshman. Over the last couple of years, we've done things like Schools of Hope and, and Hope Scholarship and expanding the Corporate Tax Credit Scholarship. So the opportunity to take children who, who live in a neighborhood that if you were if you were there and there's a perpetually failing school, some of those children are, are destined to, to be in those failing schools. What we've done over the last few years is create pathways to prosperity for those kids. And I think that that, that certainly will have the longest uh, impact and the most significant impact in the state in the years to come. Do you think we'll have a further expansion of vouchers or charter schools during your administration? Look, I believe in, in, in expansions of opportunities for parents, whatever, whatever those mean, whether it's the corporate tax credit scholarship or, or programs that allow children who have disabilities, like the Gardner Scholarship, to go to a school of, of their choice. I mean, really, education is about a marketplace. It's about having great traditional public schools. It's about having great charter schools. It's about having virtual education. You know, I think it's the one thing that parents all agree on, regardless of what political party that they're in, is that every child is different. Every child learns differently. Every child has different needs. And the education marketplace should, you know, should respond to that need and give all of our children opportunity. And I think that's what, what's been our focal point. Now, over the years that I've covered the legislature, I've noticed the one thing that really has a chance to poison the atmosphere there is if the speaker and the Senate president do not get along. How do you stand with Wilton Simpson? Oh, Wilton and I are great friends. You know, we, we certainly have the benefit of, of, of geography and getting to spend lots of time together with just he and I or with our wives. And, you know, we, we truly enjoy each other. I mean, I think one of the things about the legislature is, you know, you have the opportunity to create lifelong bonds with people that will, you know, last long after your time here in the legislature. I suspect that Wilton and I will, will be friends for many, many years. And have you come up with a theme yet or, or you're, you're 
shall we say, your you know forward into the past kind of thing. Some slogan for your uh, your administration. <laughs> Look, I don't I don't think that uh, you know I certainly don't think slogans or or, or bumper stickers are, are the kind of the way of the house. I mean, if anything, we've kind of taken the the tough road, the lo- the road less traveled. Um, but it's the road that really leads to the best policies for Florida. You know, one thing I always talk about, and I and I think Wilton feels the same way, is that when we talk about policies and, and how they impact the state, we don't think about it. At, you know, how is it going to play tomorrow or the day after or the next election? We talk about what's the state going to look like in 20 years or 30 years, long after everyone has forgotten uh, my name or Wilton's name. We want to make sure that the that the state that we love, that our family's grown up in, has um, you know has the best chance for a bright future. You've been listening to Representative Chris Spiles, who begin a two-year term as Speaker of the House after the elections of November next year. Thank you so much for joining us, Representative. Thanks, Rick. Florida's Constitutional Revision Commission meets once every 20 years to suggest changes in the state constitution. But if some lawmakers get their way, the CRC will be DOA. The Senate Judiciary Committee meets today, and they'll consider a joint resolution by Senator Jeff Brandis that would let voters decide whether to abolish the commission. Now, during the 2019 session, Brandis launched a similar effort that was approved by the Senate but died in the House. The Senate also approved a measure that would have prevented the commission from bundling multiple topics into a single ballot proposal. The House did not approve that either. Both proposals have been refiled for the Senate for the 2020 session, which begins in January. Next up on Sunrise, the first in what will be a continuing series of reports on the secret lives of Florida politicians. Wilton Simpson is a state senator from the Pasco County community of Trilby, home of little more than 400 humans and millions of chickens. I think most people would probably be surprised to know that, you know, on the weekends, um, I get to spend a lot of time on my farm and I get to spend a lot of time out in the clean air of um, Trilby, as I would say, here at my farm. And I get to do a lot of work around my farm. And, um, you know, some of my best ideas and, you know, for the legislature or best ideas, even in my private life, come from those weekends of what I would call my happy place, which is um, working at the farm and really staying connected to, you know, to my roots here in Trilby. Now, we're not talking about those trendy backyard chicken coops you find at Costco. You have to dress up in a clean suit and cloth booties if you want to visit Senator Simpson's flock in their hermetically sealed buildings. We do. Everything is very secure. It's very highly regulated from the FDA and the USDA. And so you have to have codes to get in the buildings. You have to um, be, you actually first have to come through a gate to get onto the property. You have to go through a disinfecting station, and then you go through that process to be able to go inside, yes. We're producing 23, 24 million dozen eggs a year going to people's homes. This has to be um, very seriously contained and secured. His birds produce thousands of tons of chicken shit, but Simpson says that pales in comparison to the stuff coming out of the state capitol. We have a million chickens, and so we produce 6,000 tons of chicken manure a year. But um, I would say there is an exponential amount more of that in Tallahassee than there is in Trilby. So I'm used to it. So when the crap hits the fan in Tallahassee, it's almost like home for the senator from Trilby. Florida's law school graduates are doing a better job on the bar exam. Florida politics reporter Jim Rossica has a story that says almost 75% of the people who took the exam for the first time last year got a passing score, compared to just 67% the previous year. Florida International University's College of Law was tops in the state, their passage rate 97%. Ave Maria School of Law was last at 53%. On today's agenda, key Republican state senators have lined up a fundraiser tonight at the Governor's Club in Tallahassee. 
for Senators Gail Harrell and Debbie Mayfield, along with Jennifer Bradley and Representative Ana Maria Rodriguez. The invite lists the host as Senate Majority Leader Kathleen Pasadomo and Senators Lisbeth Benacquisto, Anatira Flores, and Kelly Stargell. The Senate Agriculture Committee meets at 9 a.m. in the Senate Office Building for an update from the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services about hemp. Now, earlier this year, lawmakers approved a bill aimed at developing a hemp industry in the state. But in doing so, they actually made it a whole lot more difficult for law enforcement to bust people for marijuana possession. The committee will also hear presentations about hemp pilot projects at Florida A&M and the University of Florida. The Senate Health Policy Committee will be updated by the new boss of the state health department on a series of issues, including a hepatitis A outbreak with at least 2,460 cases reported this year. Now, hep A is contagious. It can cause liver damage. The meeting starts at 9 a.m. in the Knott Building. The Senate Children, Families, and Elder Affairs Committee will host a panel discussion about suicide prevention and mental health. That's at 11 o'clock in the Senate Office Building. And finally, on your calendar of events, the 1st District Court of Appeal will hear arguments in a battle over a major state law enforcement radio contract. Harris Corporation is challenging a decision last year by the Department of Management Services to award that contract to Motorola. It could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The hearing takes place at 2 p.m. at the 1st DCA in Tallahassee. And time now for the continuing adventures of Florida Man and his partner in crime, Florida Woman. Deputies in Nassau County say they stopped two people for riding their bicycles while under the influence of alcohol. 31-year-old Aaron Thomas and 35-year-old Megan Mondanaro could not pass the roadside sobriety test, so they ended up in the patrol car. Now, while the deputy was outside the car doing paperwork, he says the couple stripped down and started having sex in the back seat of the cruiser. When the deputy pulled him out of the car, Thomas knocked him down and ran away, buck naked. He was captured at a nearby ice cream shop. He's charged with exposing sex organs, DUI, threats against a public official, and committing an unnatural and lascivious act. She is charged with exposing her sex organs, DUI, resisting arrest with violence, assault, and also commission of an unnatural and lascivious act. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. Thanks today to everyone who sent suggestions on how to clean up the sound quality on the first program. We're working on it, trust me. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics.